welcome in to another episode of the Calcio Connection podcast, connecting with you Italian football fans from all over the world. Alex Dono alongside Jerry Mancini, as always, and we bring in a special guest. Uh, we always love when Miguel AJ joins us talking a little Milan. Obviously not uh, the result you were looking for, Miguel, but it, it, Miguel's always a positive guy. You're always in a good mood. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Um, it's a pleasure to be on the podcast once again. Yeah, we love having you, man. And, you know, I'll, I'll get right into uh, to something on uh, on the Scudetto, and, and I'm certainly not here to gloat. There's still a lot of games left to play, so I'm not going to fall into that trap with 11 match days to go. Um, right. I, I've heard and seen some folks saying that, you know, Sunday, uh, the way that the results went, you know, Inter grinding out three points in a victory, uh, tougher than it should have been against Torino, but it's a results-oriented business. That's all that really matters at the end of the day was the three points. And, you know, with uh, with Milan falling 1-0 to Napoli, you know, Inter going now nine points clear of Milan and provisionally 10 points clear of Juventus, although Juve do have a game in hand. Uh, I've, I've seen some folks say that Sunday was the day that Inter secured the Scudetto. I'm not going to quite go that far. Um, and, and part of the reason why I'm not going to go that far is I know what uh, if Juventus can find any consistency, I know what their lineup is capable of, and, and they're out of Champions League now, which could end up working into their favor. Uh, I think Milan are a little bit more of, a, of an enigma. So I want your take, Miguel. Um, now, obviously, Milan have had a ton of injuries. So, you know, getting some healthy bodies back up front could be the difference in finding form. So while some have said Sunday was the day when Inter secured the Scudetto, I'll, I'll ask your opinion was Sunday the day that Milan lost it? What's your outlook now for the rest of the season? And and listen, I, I know that for Milan, really the goal to begin with was top four, uh, which they're still very much in. So how, how do you kind of look at the final 11 match days? Are you still thinking Scudetto or are you focused on top four? I mean, in my personal opinion, this is Serie A. Anything can happen. Uh, if we look at the last Serie A season, the Scudetto race went to the last fixture and Inter lost it by a point. Anything can happen. Uh, there's these lower lower league sides um, in the table who end up pulling a massive, you know, result. Inter was lucky to get the win against Torino. I thought they were going to draw. It looked like it was heading for a draw, and Lautaro managed to step up. And for Milan, um, sure, it wasn't the result that we expected. Um, and yes. You know, it's nice to dream for Scudetto. We had a, a brilliant start um, and we were leading the table, I think, about by four points at one point, And it was great. But the fact of the reality is Milan doesn't have the depth to compete with Inter. Inter can bring off, they can bring Alexis Sanchez off the bench, Arturo Vidal, uh, Christian Eriksen, guys like that who are They've, they've played world-class football. They've, you know, they've won trophies before. They know how this thing goes. Uh, Milan, where we have the youngest squad in Serie A, and creds to the Milan players for handling the pressure that they get every time they step on the pitch. Um, but sometimes they lack confidence. Sometimes they lack, you know, complacency. They, they lack that keeping their cool and their control under pressure. Uh, we saw in the game how Rebic, a veteran, ended up getting a stupid red card. Um, that internally affects the team. So do I think the Scudetto race is over? Not necessarily. Um, if you really think about it, Juve can actually climb up the table without a doubt. If they beat Napoli, 
they beat Milan, if they beat, I think they have to Inter, play Roma. They play Inter too. And they have to play Inter. All those points right there would put them back in the Scudetto race. Um, so I don't think it's over. I think Inter have one hand on the trophy right now, and they need to get their second hand on it. If you ask me, I think Inter has secured it 80%, but anything can happen. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Uh, I mean, on, on the one hand, um, something that's that's impressed me from Inter's standpoint are um, their their habitual uh, ability now to grind out results like they got in Torino. Because, like you said, Miguel, I was honestly coming down to the wire. Uh, I had a little bit of hope because Torino gave up so many goals in the final fifteen minutes. So that was kind of one thing where I thought, okay, maybe there is a goal to be had because they tend to collapse late in matches, but at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, this Inter not playing that well, uh, this kind of has draw written all over it, uh, but Lautaro had uh, a real precision header. So, you know, results like that are, and it is an eight-game winning streak, are, are kind of what makes me think maybe the DNA of the club is changing a little bit. But I, I think your number, 80%, that's probably a good number because – uh, I wasn't born yesterday. I've been following Inter for a long enough time to know that there is Pazza, there is crazy in their DNA, and and also uh, they they've been, um, you know, they they had a lot very early in the season. They had a lot of COVID. Uh, they they've you know been a little bit lucky, uh, especially lately in in avoiding the injury bug. And even when they've had a few injuries, they've not been serious. Like there was, you know, a midweek scare with Christian Eriksen. Then it turned out he was healthy enough to at least come off the bench in the game, and he helped. When he came off the bench, so they've been a little bit more fortunate than some clubs uh, with the injuries. But you know, Jerry, you're the impartial observer here. Although I, I'm going to say impartial, even though um, I'm, I'm I've been rain, brainwashing you enough that you're even you're writing for Inter sites now. You know, I'm, I'm trying to make you more of an Inter supporter. Of course, he still loves Lazio. I don't want anyone to think otherwise. But uh, what was your view uh, coming out of Sunday? Like I, I mentioned, that a lot of people are saying Sunday was uh, quote-unquote when Inter secured the Scudetto. I'm not completely convinced of that. How do you feel? No, no way, man. This team can lose four in a row out of nowhere. You, you yeah. don't know that, man. It's not that it's secured. I was tweeting about it. I, it they're an inch closer to the Scudetto, I would, I would phrase it, not that it's secured. They got a step further to advancing to that elite trophy, but... There is no guarantees, and and I and I laughed when the, the announcer said that they only have one predominant like opponent left, which is the top four, which is Juventus. I, I don't agree with that because I know that Roma can't beat anybody right now when it comes to top teams. But knowing how Inter plays and how these two teams matched up the last time they played, it's possible that Roma can steal maybe two points away from them and earn a draw. So Yeah, I think it's been like five or six meetings in a row where Inter and Roma have played to draws. It's crazy. Uh the, the last time Inter the last time either side beat the other was in uh fall of 2017. Inter took a 3 to 1 against Roma and then I think six meetings since they've all been draws. I just don't I hate Roma obviously, but you have to go by stats, and it's proven that they're able to steal points from Inter, so those can be vital points. Um, I personally think that Milan's out of the race. After what I saw yesterday, it, it's just that, and Miguel said it offline to me today, that the injuries, this team cannot go through one game without getting injured. Um, I don't know what it is. You tell me the last time Milan 
had a match and did not have somebody hurt. I think it's that was against in, Napoli back in November. There wow. you go. So you know off by heart. I think they lost somebody against Manchester United um, in in the midweek. Yep. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I just remember lost someone. Higher. Yeah, see, we got there was one there. You guys lost players yesterday. I'm pretty sure. Um, layout has an injury now. Yeah, got injured. suspension. Yeah, and, and and I wanted to ask you, uh, Ricky, did you see the uh, the the little social media incident with Teo Hernandez where he uh, he I think it was on his uh, what was it? I, I can't keep up with all this shit that people are on these days. It was his Snapchat maybe where he uh, where he threw uh, the referee under the bus, and, and you know, unfortunately, like we see the precedent that. Incidents like that usually cause uh, suspensions. Is there is there any any sort of follow up on that? I think he did delete it, so uh, I don't I don't know if it was up there long enough for him to get in trouble. Did you hear anything about that? I didn't hear anything about that. Um, I'm assuming he posted it out of you know anger because the oh, yeah. result didn't go our way. Um, posted it, probably deleted it. Um, there probably will be an investigation if something happens. He probably will get a suspension. Again, another stupid action that, you know, hurts the team because we were struggling with depth and injuries. Um, so all of these Milan players need to hold themselves accountable. You can't be doing things that's going to affect us on and off the pitch. You know that we don't have depth. We're trying to get to top four because if we don't make top four, we're not going to bolster the squad. We're not going to make any big signings this summer that's going to help us in the Champions League if we do qualify for it. So every player really needs to think. Rebic needs to, you know, apologize to the team because it was the 92nd minute. You you could have held that in for three minutes, and then the whistle would have blown. You could have said all what you wanted to say behind closed doors. Uh, it was just stupid. And for Theo Hernandez to go on Snapchat and, and, you know, berate the referee, that's another stupid thing. You, you just saw your teammate get a red card for saying something stupid. Why would you do that? Yeah, I want to. I want to get you guys' uh, opinions uh, on the match, uh, Jerry, Jerry. If you want to weigh in on the Snapchat thing, and then and then you can get into uh, Napoli's one nil victory. It was uh, Politano uh, doing his uh, his former club enter the little solid by scoring that goal. But yeah, Jerry, if you had anything to add on Teo and your thoughts on the game, and then I'll get Miguel's thoughts on the game. I think the biggest takeaway, aside from Teo and Rebic and their poor actions, is the fact that we started. We've seen a Milan side now that lacks maturity, and that was the biggest flaw yesterday. We didn't see one player step up and be a leader and, and show some some quality, not to try to get their 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 team in sound and not overreacting. You know what I mean? Even G, uh, Gigi Donnarumma went to the sideline and after the game and snapped on the on the Napoli players. Like when your captain has lost lost control. Who's holding the ship together? And for so long, we haven't seen Milan kind of lose the plot. And recently, since January, we've seen them lose, what, four or five matches now, um, not show the same form, not getting those squeaky wins, those pivotal one nothing wins, those dirty goals that they were scoring a lot of the way. A lot of their wins, sure, yeah, they got penalties. And I hate, hate to say it, guys, but they were legit penalties. I'll be honest. They're not if you're if you're spending 90% of of your time in an opponent's box and someone draws a foul on you it might most likely it's going to get called so i 
I am not one to, 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 to talk against penalties because Immobile got so many phantom calls last year. So I, it would be such a contradiction for me, especially Fiorentina was the, the biggest one where he, where I think that was Quesado actually when he tripped over and got the call. But regardless, Lazio you got a lot of phantom calls last year and I, I would never criticize another team for getting more penalties because it's just the way the game goes. So I've been on the other end, so I wouldn't be a hypocrite, but it, it, it's a team that really lacks experience and, and sorry, not experience, just that, that leadership role. Look, look who, look what they had to come. And another, another thing is they don't have players who can come on and make a difference. Like I get you have, I'm sorry. I, I and I don't mean that in any disrespect, Miguel, I'm just saying like you, you sure you got Zlatan and, what do you have after Zlatan? Mario Mandzukic? Sorry, guys. He's not healthy either. The guy was a waste of a signing. I'm sorry. It, it was like giving free money to like – that could have been used to charity or something. I, I, I think it was a roll of the dice. I mean, do you agree with that, Miguel, that like si- signing Mandzukic, I mean, he's he's so proven in Serie A. He hasn't actually played in a really, really long time, though, and he's older. So it was like – it was just a gamble, right? Because if he can reach like the form he had – you know, at Juventus, you're saying this is a guy who knows how to make the right runs. He knows how to play tactically in this league. He was uh, really a master tactician in Serie A. So it was kind of like, you know, may- maybe the upside isn't necessarily that high. Uh, but if this works out, it's really going to work out. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. You know, with the Manzuka situation, it was a rolling of the dice. You know, you have a proven player who has won titles in Serie A, um, He's he's master class. He's he's a fighter. He he's been to a World Cup final. You know right. this guy knows how to play football, and he knows how to play it in Italy because he he practically won a bunch of titles in Italy before leaving. Um, and it was a roll of the dice because Milan has not made the smartest investments on strikers. So you get this guy on a free. He comes in if he's healthy. You know you put him in the squad. If he can help the squad, it's amazing. If not, you know, he's on your books for half a season. And if it doesn't work out, you know, you ship him out the door. Um, Rather unfortunate that, you know, he hasn't been healthy. And, you know, that's kind of affected the guy who hasn't played in about a year, you know. But if he can recover and he can come in and he can fill in for the last 10 games that we have playing and he scores a couple goals and, Milan, if you watch the game, Milan was obviously missing the target man. Uh, we had a bunch of crosses going into the box, but nobody can get their head on it because we don't have the target man. So if he can come in to the team at the end of the season and fill in that role, it could be very helpful to Milan making that top four. Yeah, and, and, and to be honest, like like J- Jerry, you were right to say that the signing, uh, at least not yet, it, it obviously hasn't worked out, but – I got to be honest with you. I think that there were a handful of other clubs in Serie A who would have been willing to make that signing. I mean, I, I even look at, uh, I even look at Inter, and obviously there's not a huge need because you know the top two strike partnership has been working really well. Like I read the stat today that uh, the only duo in uh, in Europe that has scored more this year than Lukaku and Lautaro are 
Lewandowski and Muller. So obviously Lukaku Latar are playing great together, but you get you, you never say for sure that everyone's going to stay healthy. And Alexis has been wonderful off the bench, but at, at fourth striker, it's it's really a, an empty hole, right? I mean, with Pino Monti who. Conte doesn't trust. So I, I would have loved to have had, you know, to have signed Mandzukic to be Inter's fourth striker. I think that would have been a great move. When, when Milan made that signing, I thought, hey, this is an excellent move. Well, I, I want to add, so let's look at the players that came off for Milan, Miguel. Okay. Aside from Krunic coming off and Rebic coming on, I think that was the first change he made and was the the, the most obvious change that it was his best player on, on the uh, the bench. After right. that, you got Mieti for Kessie. It's a downgrade. Right doesn't help your team shouldn't even make that substitution because you're putting your team in a bad situation and then you got diaz coming on for chenanoglu which i thought that diaz doesn't pose any threat in the final third like he's good at dribbling but i think that after that he just doesn't know where to go after his end product that that's just what i saw from yesterday's game and it kind of sums it up for me then you got um salamakers this guy Sorry, man. You want to go for a freaking run marathon, like Terry Fox marathon? This is your guy. But, like, <laughs> again, no end product down the wing. Just goes into a brick wall. And then your last one is Jens Pettehaga. I, I think there's potential for oh, him. A lot of potential. I think yeah. there's a lot of potential potential for him, but we're starting to see the, the lows of what he can offer where it doesn't work for him and he needs to – kind of like develop his game and get it to that next level he's still young so i i think of all the players that i've mentioned i think that he's the one guy who can really become something for the long term for this team but when you're calling those players on yesterday it's like we're starting to see maybe that milan's depth is not as strong as people call it to be and they, they say oh we got these players and we got these good signings and they cost 10 million but Okay, maybe they were good at the beginning of the year, but as the season progresses and you have to play teams twice, they start to figure out your players, how you play, they adapt to them, um, and it becomes more difficult. So I, I personally, like, Chernoglu, is he is he really poor? Like, not poor, but has he been on a decline, you would say, this year because of his injuries? Problem not being fit? Um I'm just saying that like, he was invisible yesterday, but I know he just came back from an injury as well. So it hasn't been easy for him. But, like, and, and what about Romagnoli? Was he hurt? Is that why he missed a game yesterday? Okay, so I think Romagnoli sustained an injury during the week, so he was not put into the team lineup. Um, the thing with Chalonoglu is, yes, he's he's had a couple injuries here and there. I think the contract renewal is kind of getting to his head. Um, he played absolutely well in the first half of the season. Um, mm-hmm. And really? then, you know, he's, with this contract renewal, he's demanding these high wages. And Milan is like, well, you know, the season isn't over yet. And, you know, we haven't met our objective yet, so we can't give you those wages. And, you know, obviously a player wants that contract signed ASAP or mm-hmm. when their demands aren't met, you know, there's a bit of friction. So I think contract renewal is getting to him. And then, you know, adding the injuries on top of it doesn't help him at all. Um, I agree with your point on Diaz. Diaz, uh, he definitely knows how to dribble, but when it comes to the finishing product in the final third, he doesn't know when to release the ball to pass. If you watch the game, there was a couple of instances where he made some really nice dribbles and there were people open on the other side, but because he didn't pick his head up to look, 
he didn't make those passes. And those could have been easy passes where somebody could have got a shot on goal. Um, so, yeah, that sucks. Mate, I would say Mate isn't really one of those who is crap. He, obviously, he's not better than Kessier, you know. But you have to you have to put into perspective that that guy was basically rotting on the bench with Gianpaolo at the helm at Torino. And, you know, he found a way out, and now he's finding his foot. He had a, he had a couple poor games when he first started, but he's gotten better. He's a bit he's a bit more reliable now, um, mm-hmm. and he's been working with Kessie. Kessie has been putting him under his wing. So if you've watched Mete in the last couple of games, he's gotten better. And I think that if he continues, he can be one of those players where you can bring off the bench, and it's like, okay, this guy can actually help our team. Um, if you watch the game against Manchester United, he did pretty well with Kessier and the double pivot. So, yeah, you know, we don't have that world-class player who can come off the bench and make an instant impact, but we have some prospect and some promising players that if they continue to develop in the positive direction, maybe in a year or two, that's that's where they'll be. I want to bring up uh, this question here from our Ricky. Miguel, what do you think he says? Go all out for Europa League or secure second? Let, let, let me interject, uh, M- Miguel, before I get your take on it. Now, uh, you know, uh, the, honestly, the difference between second place, place and fourth place is nothing, right? I mean, obviously winning a Scudetto. There's money. There's, money. there's a lot of – there's a, a couple of thousands difference. There's um, like a prize difference? I, yeah, there? there's a prize difference. So like – As far as – okay, but, but like it, it doesn't make – like 18,000 yeah. and like fourth okay. is like 14,000 or 13,000. It's like a five $6,000 gap. You know what? For a team like uh, for Milan, it makes a big difference. I'm sorry, man. Every okay, team, but, but my, my, my point was going to be, though, like, I, I guess um, that's fair. I didn't know about the prize money difference. I mean, obviously, uh, top four is Champions League. Uh, you know, finishing second, third, or fourth doesn't make any difference in your Champions League pot because that goes by European coefficient. Mm-hmm. So all, all I was really thinking there was, um, and, and I'll give you my take, and I want Miguel's, like, I – making a run through Europa League and, and there's prize money in that as well. If you if you win Europa League, there is prize money there. But uh I, I feel like securing Champions League is the most important thing. I mean uh Milan are, are six points above fifth place. So they're they're in it they're in a decent spot. But obviously six points over eleven match days, there, there's no guarantee in that. So I, I feel like the priority to me would be qualifying for next year's Champions League. If it, if it does get to a point, and, and Milan are in a, a decent spot against Manchester United because they got the draw on the away goal. So uh, so they're probably even a, a slight favorite to move on in the next round because you get the second leg of the San Siro. Uh, so maybe a deep run in Europa League is to be had. But if it reaches a point where the squad depth is, is tested so thin that you know going through another round of Europa League might come at the expense of top four, I think you have to prioritize top four. I, I think gambling on a deep Europa League run is less important than the security that comes with securing top four for next year. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, in a couple of my videos, I've mentioned, you, you know, hey, I personally, before the season started, I said that, you know, Milan will probably make it to the quarterfinals of, you know, Europa League and then bow out. Um, at the end of the day, top four is necessary. Here is my thing. Yes, the top four race is getting a lot more competitive. We're only six points above fifth place, right? This is City A. Anything can happen. You know, 
whoever is in fifth place could go on an unbeaten streak or whatever. You know, lower teams in the, the bottom half of the table may pull off some upsets. And that is why I'm like, okay, say you gamble for City A and you, you put all your eggs in that basket and we come in fifth once again, like we did last year. What do you do? Because if you win Europa League, you get that automatic qualification into the Champions League. Oh, Plus, you true. get all those bonuses. That's a good point. So, it's 50-50 in my eyes. Cool. If Milan can can pull it off, which I think they can, you know, they have Roma in that competition. They have some, some world-class sides. But Tottenham? If Milan, yeah, Tottenham's not bad. Tottenham is in there. You know, For if shit. Milan can make it past <laughs> this stage and players can recover, as they're reportedly said to do, I think we should put both of our eggs in both baskets because you can't just bow out of Europa League and then you focus on City A and then at the end of the day you come in fifth and then you're like, well, you know, I should have put more into. Oh, did did you get muted? Uh, I, I think I... there you go. There you yeah. go. I hear you now. So, yeah, you know, it's tough when it comes to the depth of the squad, but I think that Milan should try their best to go as far as they can in the Europa League. And if it comes to the expense and we have to focus on Serie A, then so be it. But you can't count out on Europa League right now because anything can happen. We've seen this before in Serie A. Last season, we, we came in fifth and we were right there. We need that extra push. We need that extra guarantee. So winning, you know, winning Europa League might do it for us. Yeah, plus, like, um, any trophy is huge. And Europa League is a nice trophy. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd rank Europa League in front of, say, Coppa Italia. That's certainly – that's a more it, – it's obvious, It's not Champions League. It's not a Scudetto. But Europa League is a, it's a very prestigious trophy if you can get it. And, and that's the sort of thing that can really – galvanize a squad and like really become a rallying point and and you know jerry we've talked about this with other trophies like you know like lazio got a, a big spark after winning coppa italia napoli had 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 a big spark after winning a coppa like sometimes just you know the unity that comes from winning a trophy can really help push a squad uh, to another level and you know so, something I, i've been thinking about when we got that question from ricky about you know securing champions league or, or securing second place versus going all out for Europa League. Um, I, I can't help, and I've been thinking about this for years, this comes up, uh, and I know uh, our friend Nima has uh, has brought this up on the uh, the, the uh, Italian football podcast uh, Twitter account as well, that I, I really think it's important for Serie A for both of the Milan-based teams, Inter and Milan, to really become powerhouses, right? And, and this, is, this is no disrespect you know, to the Napolis and the Romas of the world. But you think about, you know, basically the the decade-long or almost decade-long banter era that, you know, both Inter and and Milan went through. And during that time, what happens? Juventus wins six, seven, eight, nine straight Scudetti. And then, yeah, you know, Roma comes up second at, at one or two points and Napoli comes up second several times. But even while Inter and Milan were both at their worst, 
you know, and Napoli came pretty close in 2018 under Saturday when they, you know, the only team to ever record 91 points and not win a Scudetto. So they, they came about as close as anyone's come in the last, you know, decade. But, you know, during the time when, when Inter and Milan were both at their worst and both in their banter eras, no one else could step up. And it's a reality I know a lot of people don't like to talk about. And I know I'm going to take a lot of shit over saying this because it's, oh, it's this, you know, Milano elitist type of attitude. But, you know, the bottom line is when you think about the history and the financial potential, and I say potential because obviously Inter are not in the best shape financially right now. And over the years, Inter and Milan have both had rough financial times. But just the potential that comes with that market and the history and prestige of those clubs, you know, when when Inter and Milan are at their best, those are really the only teams that are capable of generating the kind of revenue uh, to really challenge Juventus. And so when when Milan and Inter were both in the dust, you know, Napoli and, and Roma, the likes of those teams, couldn't step up and challenge. So I we need both Inter and Milan to get into Champions League consistently because that's what's going to take some chinks out of the armor of Juventus. I think that's the only way to end their long run of dominance because guess what? Even if Inter win a Scudetto this season – um, you know, let, let's say, God forbid, you know, Milan don't win Champions League and then Inter, you know, they, they don't settle their ownership problems and they're in financial trouble. Even if Inter are able to win a Scudetto this season, if Inter go in the mud financially and Milan don't make Champions League, what's going to happen? Probably another four or five years of Juventus winning Scudetti if the, if the Milano clubs can't be up there to challenge. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I just want to see Serie A fucking competitive again. And yep, I just hope here. that Juventus doesn't finish in top four. If they somehow finish out of top four, then you, you can really see Inter and Milan really get into the into the crack and, and take advantage. And Juventus will be in such a bad position. Just not making it out of the round of 16, they lost so much money. Like, people don't understand. It's a big loss for not making it to the quarterfinals. Like, it's I don't know the numbers, but it's a substantial loss that they're going to be taking this quarter two and not making Champions League would really hurt them. I I don't think that's going to happen personally. It's uh, that's far fetched, but yeah, they're, they're going to make it. Yeah, I mean, but, stranger things have happened, but they they look pretty damn good right now outside of the Porto games. I just wish that owners. The problem is all these owners are cheap in Syria. They're all fucking cheap. Okay, yeah. all of them. They're all cheap. The only people I know who want to spend is Juventus and Inter. Um, Milan, I don't think they're there yet wanting to spend money because they can't spend money like they would like to because of the whole FFP and the whole bullshit they're going through and trying to get back to normality of like what Inter had to go through for a couple of years. So I don't know the whole situation with Milan and their whole financial situation. But again, next couple of years are going to be really different because Inter took a big loss. Lazio, not Lazio, uh, Roma took a massive loss. Um, Juventus took a massive loss. Uh, how do these teams financially cope in the next two, three years, right? Can this be a setback or, or is it just a one year off where these, these clubs are so massive that they can overcome these losses? I don't personally think so. I think they, they have to go dig into other streams now in order to like recuperate this kind of money because – Teams like Juventus were probably getting that financial resources without having to go into their backstreams or whatever it may be. So having those techie revenues and jerseys and whatever it may be, right? So I don't know. I, I wish Lazio would get rid of their owner and finally get a rich owner, but um, it's been 20 years and that still hasn't happened. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, by, by the way, uh, I wanted to bring up this topic with you guys because, Jerry, you mentioned uh, when you talk about Juventus and Ronaldo, have you seen the rumor now that's picking up some traction? I got to say, if this were to happen, I think it would benefit all parties. So there are a lot of rumors now linking Cristiano Ronaldo to a reunion with Real Madrid this coming summer. And um, really, I, I think that would be <coughs> certainly a win for Juventus to get his wages off the books because if they're going to start you know, picking up the pieces and reinvesting in the squad and getting deeper, you've got to get that $60 million gross off of your wage books because the Ronaldo thing, its it's been a failed investment. I, I see some people making these sorry-ass excuses now about, oh, well, you know what? He wasn't signed to win Champions League. That was a myth. No, he was signed so we could sell tickets and sell jerseys. It is horseshit. And I don't know if the people saying that are apologists for the clubs or just apologists for Ronaldo. Yes, the jersey sales and the ticket sales were great. That's something you can certainly expect when you bring in a worldwide icon like Ronaldo. But he was signed to get Juventus over the hump in Champions League. And for a number of reasons, not all of them are the fault of his play, because a lot of it are, are the financial resources that he sucks up that you can't spend on other positions like the midfield. But it has been a failed signing. So if Juventus could get him back to Real Madrid, get the wages off the books, huge dub for Juventus. Um, now, Real Madrid, uh, while I'm not completely well-versed in their current financials, I, I'm not going to claim I've seen their books or anything, Real Madrid seems to me like one of the few clubs in the world, and of course this was the case before he left in the first place, but even after COVID, I'm saying, that seems to be one of the few clubs in the world that could actually afford to pay Ronaldo's wages and still have a balanced team, right? So uh, I think it would work for Juventus. They, they get to bring back their icon. They get to bring back a guy who was part of, you know, one of the, the best periods uh, of the club's history when they won all those Champions League and, and Zidane is back there. So it'd be a great reunion. Um, and, and I think it'd be good. You know, I, I think it'd be a win for Ronaldo because he he had a great time there. I think he left for another challenge in another league. I think he'd be happy to go back to Real Madrid. So. And, and, you know, this is a rumor for now, although Zinedine Zidane did kind of hint that it might be true, that there might be something to it. He was asked about it over the weekend. So this is not completely out of left field. This seems like something that could really happen. Um, now, I'd, I'd kind of prefer if Ronaldo stayed at Juventus as an Interista because I see the way things are going. But honestly, and, and, and Miguel, I'll get your take on this first and then Jerry's. If that were to happen, if Real, if uh, Ronaldo went back to Real Madrid, it, it seems like he wins, Real Madrid wins, Juventus wins. It, it almost makes too much sense. Yeah, um, it is an interesting, you know, situation. Um, personally, I don't think it's going to happen. I think that Ronaldo is going to finish out his contract at Juve. Um, I think he left he left Real Madrid because he wanted a new challenge. Um, it was nice. He won three Champions Leagues in a row. You know, they won the La Liga title multiple times. Um, but I think he realized, you know, that that was nice and all, but he wanted a new challenge. Now, could a return to Real Madrid be on the cards? It could be if Juve really deemed that, hey, we made this investment with you for, you know, X amount of years. It's year two going on year three. It's not really working out and, you know, it's hurting our finances so you can leave. Um, 
I think he will find a way to uh, a way to leave, and it would benefit Hugh Bentis. Um, although it wouldn't be the smartest move because they don't really have any other world class talent other than him. Um, so it would affect them, but that would be you know the start of them having this rebuilding process that many teams have gone through. Another thing that I've saw is that Ronaldo could possibly return to Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would basically be, you know, him closing off his career and, you know, finishing out strong where he began, which that also makes sense as well, because Manchester United is a club who they're not in financial troubles, but they're lacking that striker. They have Edison Cavani, who they signed, and he's looking like he's on his way out. Anthony Martial isn't consistent. Um, who else do they have? Um, so if they were able to get Ronaldo and Juve, you know, would find a way to do it, they can arguably pay his wages. They're in the they're in the Premier League. You know, they have that money. They have that revenue. They're a big team. Um, I'm pretty sure the club would back, back them up on this move. Um, that would also be on the card. So I think, in my opinion, Ronaldo's going to see out the season. He's going to see where Juve finishes. If they don't finish in top four, um, he really might actually consider making his way out because Ronaldo's somebody who wants to compete. He di- he didn't come to Juve to play in Europa League. No, he he came to Juve to try to get them to win the Champions League, and arguably it hasn't worked out. And is that his fault? No, you know, the club has made some poor investments. They've given substantial wages to rotational players that didn't make any type of sense. Um, so. Yeah, I think if he doesn't make t- if they don't make top four this season, Ronaldo could be on his way out, and Madrid or United would be a nice fit for him. Well, I like uh, Ricky says. Imagine if they were in Europa League, but hey, maybe that's the next challenge for Ronaldo. He's won Champions League. Time to go win Europa League next year. <laughs> J- J- Jerry, what do you think about Ronaldo uh, return to Manchester United? Return to Real Madrid? Do you think he leaves this summer? It all depends if they can afford it and if, what their financial situation is, what their their long term plan is, what their short term plan is. I don't I don't know the numbers for Real Madrid. I don't know what kind of financial position they're in. I'm guessing a club as big as them can probably afford him and surround him with players compared to like Juventus, who don't have the equal amount of funds. Um, I'm not too sold about Manchester United. They have really taken a different direction and have been more kind of stingent, like a little, a little bit more less reluctant to, to sign players like they have in the past. With those splurge, the 200 million a player, the 150, they're they're a little bit more precautious compared to what they used to be. Um, I could be wrong about that. That's just my kind of what's the biggest sign they have done in the last like four years with Pogba probably was their biggest money yeah, signing. I, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure they want to like kind of like be cautious because Harry Maguire, what cost 80 million. And he, he, <laughs> he put a, he lit a stinker against Milan. So uh, it might've been the worst 80 million ever spent. <laughs> the best part is I was tweeting about his missed goal and I didn't even watch it. I just, so I just <laughs> that's the that best the part. Scary thing ever. I, I just tagged along ever, to, to banter about a play he didn't even see. I, I love didn't even that. watch it, man. I, I I was at work and I got home for the second half. I watched the last like five minutes of the first half. I caught the second half. I thought Milan played really well, personally, for what I saw yeah, in that game. So and um, that's just a side note. But um, yeah, Harry Maguire stunk the bed. But um, 
With, with Ronaldo, I you know what? If he's to leave, I think the biggest beneficiary here is Paulo Dybala. I think yeah, Dybala true. benefits the most. You would definitely get that new contract then if Ronaldo left. Not even that. I hate when people. I, I'm gonna call her out. Mino, Mino Rio. What the hell is your stupid Mino name? Mino Rizuki. Yeah, Mino, Mino Rizuki. That that Mino Rio. I was about to say. Yeah. That's well, no, and it's funny actually. I was I was listening to their show last week on the uh, the Serie Awesome, yeah, and they were they, they, they were making, Sorry, buddy. They, they were actually they're actually making a joke that what if. Mina Rizuki married Mino Raiola, then she'd be Mina Raiola, and then it we'd be less confused, and it would be easier uh, to talk about the two of them if they had basically the same name. No, I, I can't stand her. I think she's stupid personally. I think she's her takes I, are I so biased. I don't like her. I think she's stupid. I'll be honest. She, I hope she hears me say this. I don't give a shit, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even care half of me if, if Twitter all hated me because I said this. She's, I, you know what? I don't, I don't hate Milan. I'm sorry, I don't hate Juventus because they haven't done anything to me either. Like, I just some of their fans really rub me off the wrong way. And she's one of them where she's so reactionary, where Dybala's got to go. He's shit. He's terrible this season. Are you stupid? Like, no, seriously, are you stupid? The guy had COVID. And a lot of players who have, have contracted like COVID haven't come back the same. It, it's very hard to know how your body is, how it's going to react to it. Some players maybe haven't been able to really come back to their fitness level. He's been injured. It, it's unfortunate that he's been injured. I would take the ball on Lazio any day of the week, okay? No ifs, ands, or buts. This guy is a talent. And since Ronaldo has joined Juventus, I think a lot of people don't realize, yes, he scores a lot of goals. But I said this on the last pod, and I'll say it again. When you're given the ball 90% of the time, chances are you're going to score a goal. You know what I mean? Like if, if, if the play is revolved around you, obviously you're going to score all the time. You're going to score a hat-trick like yesterday because everything is built around you. The problem is a team like Coyote is shit. They have no defense. Where when you start playing teams in Champions League, you're so predictable. Yeah, and Jerry, on, on that note, I just have to interject with something really funny mm-hmm. that I saw. You know how there are those uh, there are those accounts out there, and they're not even most of them are not even Juventus fans. So I'm not ripping on Juventus supporters. I'm ripping on the basement dwelling Ronaldo fanboy accounts that just you know they only tweet about Ronaldo. They they could give a shit what club he's on. Like they only they worship Ronaldo. And I saw some of these fanboy tweets yesterday saying because obviously the uh, the Champions League elimination was tough and Ronaldo's responsibility for for the goal that eliminated them. It, it was it was humiliating last week. And so then I see these Ronaldo fanboy troll accounts after he scores a hat trick saying Ronaldo silences critics with hat trick. It's like, bro, he just got humiliated in Champions League, and then he goes and scores three goals against the 17th place team fighting relegation in Serie A, and you're going to say he's silencing the critics? I could have scored twice against Cagliari. This guy goes out there and scores three times, and now he's silencing the critics? If anything else, I think the actual Juventus fans want to get those Ronaldo troll accounts out of their lives because it's got to be really fr- – like if you're an actual Juventus fan, you must want to throw your computer out the goddamn window when you're watching your club play 
And then you have like these hundreds of drone accounts who are just worshiping Ronaldo. Like, who are these people? They're not fans of my club. Like, they, they, they just follow this guy. Like, if I were a Juventus supporter, I would want to get those Ronaldo fanboys out of my life. I just don't like how Juventus has to work around Ronaldo. And to a degree, I get it. He's your best player, he's your superstar. But what you do in the long term is you affect other players in the team. Like you, you, you affect form, the, the way they play, their confidence. Look at DiBala; he hasn't been the same player since Ronaldo has arrived. He hasn't played to the same level. He hasn't been able. And it's what well, I think Agnelli really, really uh, had him in, in the lineup in the first year when he joined, and his minutes just started to decrease, and then he lost his form, like I said, and his confidence and. He just hasn't been the same player since Dybala has been in the lineup, and he has to shift the way he plays. He has to change a different kind of role. Um, look how many strikers have come into this lineup and have been unable to actually produce where prior to joining Juventus, they were elite strikers. Uh, Higuain just couldn't crack it with Juventus. Um, you you name – I don't know who else has joined that. Um, Mario Mandzukic left. He should have stayed. They had to. Uh, well, they, risk- they forced him out. Right? He would have stayed. What, he would have stayed, but like, why? Because of his wages. Like, what a joke, eh? Because of Ronaldo's wages that tied up so much money, Manzukic had to go out the door. Um, and then they got rid of what's the midfielder they had? Um, uh, Matuidi. No, he he was shit. That that guy had to go. But the That's other my guy, guy uh, bro. No, he's garbage. Watch your mouth. I don't like him. He's very speedy, but uh, like not a very tech, not a very technical player. I thought, but um, who's the other guy who who they bought out? Um, Kadira. Yes, you telling me Kadira would have been he worse than midfield? Hold on, compared no, to what shit. they have right now, I was talking to a Juventus fan uh, who is friends with uh, with Joe from Forza Napoli. He said Sammy Kadira would have probably been a better choice over what they have right now in in Champions League. Like slotting him in that midfield. He's too old. Yeah. He he may be old, but he could have been a little bit of an upgrade. That's that's sad. That's how shit their midfield is. Jerry, Kadira is too old. He he can barely run on the pitch. He's too slow. Like he he's a good player. I'm not I'm not trying to shit on Kadira, but were you talking about Emery Chan? No, it wasn't him. Emery Chan. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe I, I thought maybe that's who you're talking about because I I would take Emery Chan over Kadira. It was just a side conversation we had, and he would have been. He thinks that Sammy Kadira would have been better than what they had available. It's possible. I, I don't know. I haven't seen Sammy Kadira play in a while, but uh, I, I guess that, that whole midfield is shit. For that's, that's why he hasn't played because he's he's not good enough. He, yeah. he had to go to the Bundesliga to to play for a mid table team. That's. That's how good he is. Like, he's not that good anymore. When he was at Real Madrid, sure, he was amazing. And his first couple years at Juventus, he was good. But age started to catch up with that guy. He, he can't run on the pitch. And as much as, you know, age catches up with these midfielders, once you can't do certain things that are needed in today's day and age in a midfielder position, there, there's no point. You're, you're not world-class anymore. Uh, I say you sell Ronaldo as soon as you can because it's not gonna, it's not helping them. And you're probably not even if you broke even in the summer just to get him off the books. Do it, man. You don't don't look to make a profit. Like I was just reading that right there. 
Yeah. Like realistic, 30 million wouldn't buy Juventus as much talent at this point. You're right. It wouldn't buy you talent. But what would it do? What it does is it allows you to start the rebuild and a year earlier. It allows the younger players to now adapt and play freely. Um, you build around Chiesa. You build around whoever else you have other than Kulovsky. You build around Delit, uh, McKinney. There are good pieces in place that are there already. I think Artur has potential. Artur as well. has p- potential. Like you need these players to not have Ronaldo in the way. The problem is it's not Juventus. It's Ronaldo FC. You take out Ronaldo, it's Juventus now. Juventus, hold on. Prior to Juventus buying Ronaldo, they had made the finals, I think, twice in the previous four years, okay? Four or five years. And anybody who says, oh, it's just finals, who cares if it's finals? Are you kidding me? Making the finals it is still amazing compared to like the amount of money that you inherit in the Champions League. Just losing in the finals is ridiculous amount. Like it, it's crazy. Like what your what your team can do for next year. So anybody who's disappointed that they got second in Champions League, don't be because it actually helps your team financially massively. Um, this is a team that didn't have. A prestigious elite player. They had a, a balance of good players in their lineup. That they they had enough depth in their midfield. They had enough depth up front. They had a good back line, and that's the Juventus that needs to come back for Juve fans. They can't be having this, uh, like Carlos Garganeza says, like this elite superstar where you think he's going to take your team to the next level and do everything. It, it doesn't work like that. Um, you can do that maybe in basketball with LeBron James. You can do that in hockey, probably with Sidney Crosby. But in soccer, man, football, sorry, you, you need 11 players to contribute. People say that Messi does it by himself. No. Messi yeah. Messi didn't win all those trophies by himself. He he helped his team win games. He, he contributes assists. He makes people better. I'm sorry, Ronaldo doesn't make people better. He he has always been surrounded by such elite talent on Real Madrid because they're so full of money that they are able to buy players to support him. He went to a Juventus side, burying himself so stupid, knowing that they didn't have the financial, like the finance to help him as compared to Real Madrid. And, and that's how I compare. Like, yeah, okay, Barcelona always had a superstar team, but at the end of the day, it, it wasn't that, Messi was reliant on them. Like he, he either stepped up and scored goals, or he helped. I just think that his overall game is a step further compared to Ronaldo, and I and I hate when I have to hear that. Who would you want on the field if it was a last minute goal and you needed Messi to score or Ronaldo to score, hmm. and, and and Messi doesn't score in Argentina? Yeah, well, guess what? Argentina sucks every year. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, my father-in-law is Argent is, is Argentine and. Freaking that back line has stunk the bed for the last what decade. So, yeah. like when you don't have a defense and you're just relying on offense, yeah, they're all forwards. Yeah, <laughs> like Argentinian plays forward. But yeah, Ronaldo has to go, and you, there are pieces there, and you start the rebuild process. That that's just how I see it personally. 
So uh, last uh, last uh, thing I want to go over, um, you know, we we mentioned uh, in, Inter getting the uh, two to one victory at Torino. Didn't really talk a whole lot about the game. It, it was one of those performances that it reminds me a lot of sort of the typical Antonio Conte in his previous, you know, incarnation as Juventus manager. It, it reminds me a little bit of of also the Juve type of victories under Allegri where it's, it's those games where if you're an Interista watching it, you're thinking, okay, God, I think we're going to drop points here. You know, if you're if you're a fan of, you know, Juventus and Milan, you're hoping Inter drop points. You're thinking, okay, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And then they find a way to grind it out in the end. Uh, in this case, um, you know, I thought one of the few players uh, for Inter who actually played well was Lautaro Martinez, you know, drawing the penalty and scoring the game-winning goal on a, on a nice precision header really difference makers in the game. You know, I mentioned Latara, not the only player who played well in this one because a couple of the substitutes were big uh, for Inter. You know, a little bit before the hour mark, uh, they bring on uh, Christian Eriksen. You know, they bring on Alexis Sanchez. Alexis was the one who provided the assist to Lautaro. Eriksen made a difference as well uh, because it wasn't so great uh, from the start for Inter. Now, because of Eriksen picking up a knock midweek, uh, he was Conte didn't have enough confidence to play him from the start. And Arturo Vidal had a minor surgery, so he's going to be out for a little bit. And Jerry's boy, Roberto Gagliardini, gets the start. And Gallia actually made me miss Arturo Vidal. I mean, he really, really struggled to put anything positive together. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, just the attack uh, tends to be a little bit stagnant. And, you know, Gallia made some runs. He got into the box a few times. But as far as creativity in the buildup, uh, there really was nothing there for him. Uh, I also thought from a negative standpoint, and it's a good thing when you have a lot of guys who don't play well and you can still grind out a victory because uh, uh, I've seen plenty of seasons where Inter are not able to do that. Um, for the second straight match, uh, I didn't think uh, Romelu Lukaku played particularly well. He didn't play so well against Atalanta, did not play well against Torino. I thought uh, by Nicola Barella's standards, this was a pretty poor game for him. I thought for Hakimi, by his standards, this was a very poor game for him. So the three of those guys uh, lacking a little bit and also having Bobby Gags, you know, start in the midfield. Uh, there just wasn't really any breakthrough for Inter. Not only did Lukaku not play very well, he wasn't getting a whole lot of service. There really just weren't any teeth in the attack of Inter in the first half. They go into the locker room at halftime, nil-nil, scoreless. Uh, it was, you know, in the second half when Inter got the spark with the penalty, which Lukaku converted. Uh, they did concede, uh, and then they were able to get the winner from Lautaro. So, uh, you know, this is certainly not the type of performance, Jerry, that I'm, I'm going to remember, but I think that those are three points that I might remember, and it went a really long way for Inter, who went provisionally nine points on top of the table, and, and those nine points did hold up through the weekend given the Napoli-Milan result. And, you know, I, I'm going to let you take it away here, Jerry, because you actually put probably more research into that match than I did because you actually wrote a, uh, a takeaways piece for Serpents of Madonina.com. I got my guy Jerry writing for Intersites now. So, I mean, what did, what did you make uh, of my of my assessment there, Jerry? It wasn't a good performance, but a very valuable three points. Yeah, the, you know what? A win's a win. And I saw Lucci kind of like say that, who's a Juventus fan, and basically Daniel Lucci said, win's a win for Juventus. And he's right. It doesn't matter if you're being a low bottom team, a top bottom team. Sometimes the bottom teams, like Miguel said earlier in, in the show, 
it's the city. You don't know what you're going to get every week. And Torino basically played a very low block and tried to catch them on the counterattack, and which they did. They they got two chances, and in the uh, Lianco missed uh, the chance in the first half. Had he scored the first goal, who knows what Inter would have looked like? They would have been a really fragile team, and now Torino can play defensively much more sounded, and, and they don't have to like really give up any space. The problem is they conceded the first goal, which kind of altered the way they played. My my key takeaway is, was that Torino continues to let goals, concede goals really late into matches, and this is why they have really given up so many points this year. Uh, they did it against Lazio when they lost 4-3, and um, I can't recall. There are, there are other instances. They did it against uh, Sassuolo when they were up to nothing and they conceded two goals in the last 10 minutes of the match. They get two goals consecutively. They've done it twice against Inter now. The, the first meeting back in November, they had a 2-0 lead against Inter in the second half. Inter scored four straight. I guarantee you there's at least 20 points they've conceded off of like late goals in like the last 10 minutes, which is astonishing and shouldn't be happening. It, it's just mental breakdowns, uh, weak goals. I thought Lotaro was really effective in the box, especially he, he making strong runs, being physical, and he he really gave a presence on a day that Romelu Lukaku was very invisible and didn't have his best game. And credit to Bremer. I actually mentioned Bremer in my piece, and I thought that he was the best defender for Torino. He really played man-to-man on him, didn't give him an inch of space. Um, on set pieces, he, he really didn't have a chance. So the thing is, when you play tight on Lukaku, he kind of frustrates him when he doesn't get his way. And as the game progressed, you can just see that he kind of dipped out of the game. But um, another player who I was disappointed with was Hakimi. Yeah, first was five, first yeah. five minutes of the game just dictated how he was going to play. Cheap, um, cheap giveaways, just like showing a poor effort to keep the ball in. And I think he just kicked it out of bounds. Like it was just a weak t- attempt. And then, trying to make a pass back and, and it went out of bounds. It was just really weak. And 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 his runs down the flank, I, I don't like that he doesn't attack more. Like he needs to be more aggressive. Like go one-on-one. You got speed. You you got dribbling skills. I don't see why you, you back off and let Barella be that wing back all of a sudden. I noticed that Barella was taking that right side much more and yeah. making more crosses compared to Hakimi. It wasn't until the second half where Hakimi started to be more active and started to delivering balls into the box, which were like way wide and over like nowhere near players. That's a good point. Something that I I noticed for the entire first half and then early into the second half, and of course right after I I tweeted about it, uh, Inter were able to to draw the penalty, but uh, the, the crossing was was really, really poor in that, and, and Hakimi was responsible for some of it. Uh, I think Barella was responsible for some of it. I, I couldn't really tell if it was just bad crosses or if there was a problem with the left wing backs not making the right runs because they were doing a lot of crosses from the right side to the far post on the left, and there was no one in the vicinity. It's like uh, whether it was uh, Perisic or Ashley Young when he came on, it's like they were 
maybe making the run too far inside when they weren't at the right spot to receive it. But the crosses were going to no man's land. Yeah, I just didn't see them make enough runs down the wings. Um, Erickson made an impact. I thought him coming in in the second half really gave them some creativity, some ball movement. Um, Gallardini didn't know how bad he was. He fucking sucks. He was terrible. Fucking reeks, man. Holy shit. Can he not do anything? I think it was the 55th minute he came off. If Conte is making a sub at the 55th minute, you know there's a problem because he likes to wait till 70. Oh, Sanchez was amazing. Came on for 10 minutes. Yeah, wow. He was great. Like that. It, it's amazing how he can really, I think he's much more effective coming off the bench. Like that's where I was, that's where I would say oh, Miguel, yeah, sure. that's that's a yeah. player that would make yeah. a big difference for Milan is a guy like Sanchez who can come off the bench and, and just even, even if he's not the most gifted player, well, he's got talent, obviously, which other players don't in, um, in Milan, but like it's just his ability to to give a spark, give some intensity, give that that jolt that they they need, and yeah, um, that that's that's something that Milan really is missing recently. Um, again, you know better than me about Milan. I know that they have a lot of injuries. Maybe one of their injured players, they do have a guy like Sanchez who's probably injured right now, can who can probably make that difference. Um, not a guy like Salamarkers. I, I know he can run fast, but you you want that blend of of intensity, speed, motivation, along with some technicality where you know the player can make a difference. You know what I mean? And a guy like yeah. Sanchez can provide that for Milan. Yeah, you know that's kind of why um, the Manzukic signing was kind of brought in because he can also fill in on the wings. Um, he's played as right wing before, I believe, and left wing. Um, so ideally, the thing was, okay, we brought him in. Yes, he might be Ibra's deputy, but once he gets a few run of games, we're going to try him in the right wing position because, you know, he is world class. He is motivated. He has that, you know, extra source of talent and technicality that we've seen over the years. Um, and if you're a real Milanista, you know that our wingers are not the best. It's it's fine on the left because we have Rebic, but that right-hand side is really lacking because Castillejo and Salamakers, they're just going to run, you know, they're going to they're going to get those balls, they're going to give all they got, but that that extra bit of world-class quality and, you know, that lethal injection that you get on the final third from a world-class player is not there from them. And that's why we're trying to go for these guys like Otavio from Porto and uh, Tovan from Marseille because those players have that extra edge. So that's why it's it's really important for us to make top four so we can make those signings to make this team better. So uh, last thing before we wrap it up. Uh, so Jerry, uh, David wants you to talk about Bayer Lazio. <laughs> Do you believe in miracles, Jerry? I mean, down down 4-1 on aggregate, giving up four away goals in the first leg. Are we going to see like a, a masterful 4-0 at Bayern? Are we going to see that? I'll answer this, and I'll answer his SMS question, too, that he asked earlier as well. Um, I, I don't see a miracle happening here, not Bayern. Um, you know what? Lazio had their chance. They should have won the first leg. It was gift wrapped to Byron. Their inexperience, um, just being nervous. Uh, I forgot who said it. 
I think it was on uh, Nima's pod where they said it perfect. The first minute, Manuel Lattini kicked it out of bounds for a corner kick. With, within the first 30 seconds, they already cracked. Mm. So here's here. I, I want a good game. That's all I want. I want. Yeah, you're I playing want, for pride now. Yeah, yeah, that's what it is. I, I want to see that my team can pull out a one nothing win. Uh, a 2-1 win, maybe a 1-1 draw, but a hard-fought 1-1 draw. And those kind of results will help Lazio long-term in the season where they can build off confidence, sustaining any any anything positive against a team like Bayern will help their season in the latter part, I personally think. It would give a lot of experience to these guys. Uh, they have been in poor form in recent time, and they've been struggling to win games, and something like this can really turn your season around. Don't start Patrick, I would say. If Patrick starts, we are fucked. Um, like, he is – I love his motivation. He, he know why he's the Grinta. Like, you, he, he can give you that spark on the bench and try to rally you. But he is so outmatched, and he's not a good player. Technically, everything, it's bad. I heard that they plan on starting Stefan Radu with a Cherby in the, in the middle and Musakio on the right. Um, I know Musakio. I know that Musakio gave up that that weak pass in the first game against them. But here's another problem: Why is Musakio playing on the left side when that's not even his natural position? So you're putting him. You're, you're forcing a player who's not who doesn't even play in a back three. Let's first consider that he's playing in a back three. He's a plays in a back four on the right side. We're shifting him on the left side in a back three. You're putting him in a difficult situation against Bayern Munich. It was all a disaster for him to fail. Like, he's not that bad of a player, I find, compared to Patrick. Um, I would have started Wesley Hoot from the beginning if that was the case. You start Hoot on the left, Patrick on the right, and – sorry, Musaki on the right, and Acherby in the middle. That's what I would have gone with. Or the opposite, sorry, Hoot goes in the middle, Acherby on the left. I don't know why people hate Hoot as well. I know he makes those big one bad mistakes like he did against Inter – but his overall game is not that bad. How people, I, I, I just don't like one bad play erases a whole player's game, yeah. and, and and shouldn't be evaluated on one big blunder. Like it's not just him who's done it this year. Stefan Rodu did it versus Hellas Verona. Musacchio's done it now against Byron, and the problem is is that Lazio implemented this pass twenty thousand times back to the goalkeeper Pepperena to pass it back to you to pass it back to him to give it to the team to score. Like it, it blows my mind. And where we all last year we never did this back pass to the goalkeeper. We would attack, go down the wings, go down the middle, and have an idea. This year it's been lacking. And it's scary. Um, yeah, it's it's about pride and. and Byron's got so many players back now. They got Thomas Muller is back in the lineup. Um, I think Pavard's back as well. Oh, you're, you're in trouble, man. I'm sorry. It, this is scary, man. And <laughs> that team is fucking frightening. It's like when when they have when they have a full squad available, it, it is just disgusting. One of my one of my best friends is a is a Bayern fan, and I've watched some games with him before. Jay, that was the guy Jerry that you interviewed for the piece that you wrote on the Laziali, and I. I've been to, uh, you know, before COVID, uh, you know, they, they would have these like big uh, Bayern watch parties and uh, and and just like the, the, the fans are lunatics. Like you, you never knew there were so many German people living in Miami. Like where do these people hide? Like they just come out, they, they just come out to watch these games together and, and it's nuts. 
Uh, and that team is so sick. I, I, I can remember going to a couple of games, and, and the Bundesliga, the bottom half of it is is, is not very good. Uh, and so when Bayern is going up against like a relegation side, they'll they'll score like five goals, and then like the fans are like, "Oh, we we should have scored more goal. Why why did we not score more?" Uh, it's like they're not. It's like, bro, you won five to nothing. Like you're you're not happy with that. I guess you know what. I've never encountered a bad Byron fan compared to Juventus. Oh, no, they're great. Yeah, they're great like, people, believe me. I, you know what? I like how they build their business, like their their club. They're not they, – they build properly. They, they have a good youth foundation. They buy the right players. They, they, they don't blow – they don't really blow money, like substantial amount of money on players. They find these hidden gems and, like, they, they, they've done this, like – kind of like foundation which is really great but i don't want to say it but yeah i have respect for byron fans i i've haven't been like treated like shit with the, like the whole byron versus lazio they've been respectful and understand yeah. that our team is so like outmatched that they don't brag about beating lazio like you don't get that shit which is really which is really nice um we could talk about SMS before we go if you want, David. Go ahead, uh, Alex. Sorry, uh, I'm half asleep, but you, you do it. I'll uh, I'll be over here napping, uh, and I'll and I'll get Miguel to weigh in uh, as well. I personally don't see SMS leaving. Um, even if we got Europa League, he's not leaving. No one's paying a hundred million. Let's just just get this right now. Like, no one is gonna spend Lotito demands. He doesn't have to sell. SMS. He doesn't have to sell anybody. We took a, a financial loss of 15 million euros. Are you kidding me? Like, he signed up until 2024. There's still, I think, another three more years or four more years left on his contract. Um, he's never requested to leave. He's he's spoken out last year how he loves playing for Lazio, and, and at this moment, he is excited to be here. I know that his dream team is to play for Real Madrid one day. I do think that will come along the way. But at the moment, until Simone Inzaghi is still the manager of Lazio, it makes me believe him more that he will be with the team because of what, because how how much Inzaghi values uh, Sergei Milinkovic-Savage and, and his role within the team, and now starting to give him the armband as well. In place of uh, of Chido Immobile, which I think players really take that into consideration. And and another thing is, if he were to go to a team like Real Madrid or, or like a really serious big club, I'm curious to know how he would do with like the pressure. Can he play in that kind of role and, and play with an elite club and, and sustain that that status? You know what I mean? Like it's a big jump going from Lazio. All of a sudden, to Real Madrid or Barcelona, um, he comes with a heavy responsibility, and I'm curious to see if he's able to take his game to that next level. I think a lot has to do with Simon Inzaghi and how he's allowed him to play this kind of like deep line midfielder to attacking midfielder, and be very effective on both ends and playing in a, in a formation that really gets the best out of his game in the three-five-two. Um, I, I again, I don't, I don't treat Lazio as a top club in City. They're the probably the top of the last tops of, of the top seven clubs, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah, like they're 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 the seventh. To me, Lazio is is a top seventeen. 
and why I say that is the first six is Milan, Inter, Juventus, Roma. I know people say that Roma is the club of lots of, of Rome, but and I know the, the history, but financially, I think that Roma still has more to spend than Lazio. The only issue is that they've never been able to spend it right, and they got they got financial owners now. They got very wealthy owners, so. I don't like to be a Lazio fan who's cloudy and thinks that all oh, Roma's on the bottom, Lazio's on the top. Don't forget, we got Claudio Latito. He doesn't dish out. And so, yeah, like, and then you have Napoli, I think that is ahead of them as well with Milan. So that makes him seventh to me. But I'm rambling there. But overall, I just don't see the need for Lazio to sell him. And if he is to be sold, the first thing is that Lazio is going to have a game plan in order to bring someone in to replace him. They're not going to just sell him for nothing. So if there isn't a player coming in that is of adequate or similar skill set that can really replace his role, they're not going to sell him because Lazio is not going to try to be worse. And that's, that's just how I see it. Love to hear what you guys think, but go ahead, Miguel. Well, um, yeah, um, I, I completely agree with you, Jerry. I think um, Malinkovic-Savic's opportunity to leave Lazio was probably about two seasons ago when there was interest um, for Milan. Uh, yeah, so Malinkovic-Savic's best opportunity for him to leave Lazio was probably two seasons ago when there was interest for Milan. Uh, I think Lotito had him at a, like 70 million or 80 million for, for that transfer to go through. Obviously, Milan didn't have that money. Um, and I think, as you said, you know, Linkovic Savage is very much committed to this team. He still has two, three years on his contract. He's probably going to play it out for another two, three years. And as you mentioned, you know, he, he dreams to play for Real Madrid. I think that will come maybe in two or three years at the end of his contract that might come to him. But I think right now he's, he's comfortable where he's at. You know, Lazio may not be the best team. They, they may not, you know, win Scudetto or they may not make a deep run in the Champions League, but he's comfortable with the, the football he's playing. He's growing. He's adapting. He's, he's turning into a better player. And I think that this is where he needs to be because, like you said, making that jump to, you know, an English Premier League side or Real Madrid or Barcelona, that's a huge jump. And I just don't think he's ready for that. I think he still has a little bit more to learn and to develop before he can make that move. I think there's something to be said for the sort of comfort one gets at Lazio under Simone Inzaghi. Like we, we consider the the time that Ciro Immobile has had there. I mean, he's, he's tried other clubs. He's been... Uh, other places, and it hasn't worked out for him. Lazio has always been the right home for him, and uh, you know, not the two players are ever the same. But I, I think in the case of Milinkovic Savic, he at least has the anecdotal evidence of his teammate and knowing that the grass is not always greener. Like you're fitting in very well here, you're playing your best football. You know, you're under a manager who doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon. It's like Inzaghi feels like a Lazio lifer at this point. <laughs> Uh, you know, you, you're not, you're not, uh, you're not going to have to worry about manage, managerial changes. You're comfortable here. Um, it, it doesn't surprise me that he's happy. I mean, not not every player is desperate 
to make a move to a bigger club. If if they're making enough of a financial sacrifice, and he makes a pretty lucrative deal, Jerry, if you're making enough money to be able to provide a comfortable life for your family, you're enjoying the football you're playing, you're obviously playing enough to be able to get on your national team. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not that worried. But I, I do want to wrap it up, guys, uh, at Hold this on. point. Go ahead. Thoughts about Fiorentina, Tramas, us. They're shit. There you go. Shit, they they ruin they ruin players. Okay, See, they're, you're a they're, Tina fan also. They they suck. I'm sorry. They looked good the other day. If you're oh, wow. Tina. oh wow, they won a fucking game in how many games? Hey. Jesus Christ, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with, uh, no, screw no, no mind. Okay, Vlahovic. Thank God they, they didn't ruin that guy yet. They they ruined Castrovili. They ruined Chiesa. Chiesa. Everyone blamed Chiesa. He was shit at Fiorentina. Oh, this guy can't do it. They were. Using him in so many different roles, different managers getting into his head. Like, they, Fiorentina is like, it's like a cancer, man. Like, there's just not, there's nothing sustainable there. I'm sorry. And until they get a manager that is a long term plan and can give them a vision for the future, all these short term gaps and these band aids they bring in are just going to continue to ruin that team. I'm sorry. That's just how I see it. And they right. need someone for the future. And until they do that, team is a fucking dud to me, man. <laughs> I, I got to run on that note. Want want to send a huge thanks to our special guest, Miguel AJ. Miguel, let people know where they can find you on social media, where they can keep up with you. All right, guys. So you can follow me at Twitter at Miguel AJ twenty nine. It's there. You can also follow me on YouTube at Milano Miguel. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, we got a big game coming up on Thursday playing Manchester United. We're hoping to get another win so we can advance in the Europa League. And then we have to, you know, play against Fiorentina. So that'll be a good one. Good stuff. And uh, Jerry, anything to promote? People can find you, of course, on Twitter at jmancini8. You're writing for Lazio sites. You're writing for Inter sites. You're, you're all over the place. Uh, any work you want to promote this week? I don't know. I've got three takeaways. I finally wrote up on the Lazio Cortona game. I know I'm like four days late, but uh, I've been so busy this weekend that wrote up a piece on the Inter Lazio. I did a piece on Lazio. I don't. Know, I, I can't keep track of my own work, man. I, I I just you know what, man. I just on my days off, my wife work. My wife works at home, so I'll spend like eight hours just writing beside her, and I'll just spend the day beside her while she's working, and I'll just pop out some articles. I got like fifteen articles saved in my computer right now, and like I wrote a piece on why Juventus should, should sell Ronaldo and um, a few other ones. I got one on Milan on Pioli. I started like three months ago where how he's done a really good job with um, Milan and how he's really turned it around and. Basically, how he's given them more of a winning identity. So, and and he and I wanted to do a piece on him because I think even though just recent times it started to dip off for Milan, I I kind of hate some of the Milan fans where they forget what he was able to achieve before that and how he's really taken this club a step up and has really given them some life. You know what I mean? Um, don't be a prisoner of the moment where they lost a game on Sunday against Napoli and start freaking. I saw Milan Twitter it was pretty bad yesterday, and, and right away they're they're freaking. Not all, not all. I I don't ever like to criticize everyone in the same boat, but there 
it's it's sports, man. Someone has to win. Someone has to lose. Um, the problem is, is that Milan feels very unfair because they've won so much that it hasn't equated to anything yet. That's the problem. And God, I would feel bad for a Milan fan. I would feel bad for myself if I was a Milan fan if they don't go top four or win anything because all that success, what was it for? You know what I mean? Yeah. But at the same time, I think people forget that 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 streak happened from last year and be, that whole long run is kind of intertwined between last year and this year where half of it's really irrelevant because it didn't really equate to anything for this year. So I don't want to say it's it's a waste. It's never a waste because you want those wins. The problem is it wasn't combined in one year. So now because of such a successful half a year and a half a year last year, it's like it wasn't the full year of what you wanted. I know it probably sounds stupid what I'm saying, but <laughs> but like the way I'm saying it, but Milan's probably wishing that that all happened in one year of all their wins because they went oh, unbeaten. Sure. Like 26, <laughs> had they had gone unbeaten like what, 27 straight games, Miguel? 20, 28 games. They'd be, they would have wow. they won the Scudetto maybe. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. who knows? If that was over one season, yeah. 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 It's possible. And we added this season start, we would have won the Scudetto. Yeah. Yeah, like – but yeah, I, I wanted to write this piece about Stefano Pioli. I I, I, did, I didn't like. Oh yeah, and last topic before we go, and Alex kind of mentioned this. I didn't like his comparison about bringing up how had they missing three star players like Inter were missing their star players, and Juventus were missing star players. Uh, that's any team, man. Like you can't really use that excuse when you've yeah. been missing players for how many games now. All of a sudden, now that's becoming an issue. It wasn't an issue for the last 20 games. 20 games later, now you're starting to say, oh, if we had our three players out, and if Inter had their three best players out, what would they be like? And it's like, you're right. It, it, it does suck. But you don't want to resort to that because you – it's just a poor man's excuse to me. I, I, I hate excuses. Like I, like, and, and, I'm, and I'm not singling out Milan because I hated when Conte used to do it a lot last year. He hasn't done it a lot this year. I think the club uh, made it very clear they don't want that shit from him, so he's not been doing it so much. But last year, he was an excuse machine. Uh, the, the excuses to me are, are the signs of, uh, of either a manager who whines way too much or a manager who's too insecure in his job if you got to be making excuses to other things like that. But on that okay. note, I guess Miguel doesn't want to comment. That's fine. No, I mean, comment. I mean, you know, I think for Pioli, it's kind of just the constant badgering from the media. I think, like, just this one time, like that—that that was just his excuse. You know, we've we've seen throughout the season how Pioli's been hammered by the media, especially last season with the. Oh my gosh, you know, Ragnick is going to come. How do you feel? Like, and he's like, yo, like, I'm just here to do my job. When we get there, we get there. And it has been difficult. Um, you know, Milan has missed players, but Milan has never missed players this much, if that makes sense. Like, when we when we did have players missing, it was one player. It was like, okay, Benacer is missing. And then you had Hakan, you had Theo Hernandez. And then it'd be, okay, Zlatan's missing for two, three weeks. But now it's, 
we're missing Zlatan, we're missing Rebic, we're missing Tonali, we're missing Benacer. It's it's a lot now. So I understand why he's like, you know, if we're missing our big three players, which we are, we're missing a midfielder, our striker, and a defender, which ultimately is three big holes in our squad. Um, but yeah, I'm not a fan of the excuses. You know, the result didn't go our way. The result didn't go our way. And, you know, we pick our heads up and we, we fight for the next game because it's already done. What are you making excuses for? The result didn't happen. So, Well, that'll do it for us, my friends. Huge thanks again to Jerry. You can follow him on Twitter at jmancini8. You can follow Miguel there at miguelaj29. You can follow me at Alex Dono. Uh, we are going to be uh, making some interesting show-related announcements, I think, within the next couple of weeks. So Jerry and I will keep everybody up to date on all of that good stuff. So I want to send a huge thank you to everyone who joined in on the chat. The chat's a lot of fun. I, I love the fact that during this YouTube chat, people can interact and we can bring questions on board. It really is a, a great way to get the folks interested in talking to us and all that. So we're going to talk to you guys again on another episode of the Calcio Connection podcast. Buona notte. We'll talk to you guys later. Ciao.